Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Rumble. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, onto the show. My name is Jason Trumbull. JT Computer Repair. And I'm a man on the run. Jason! Oh, you're JT. Okay, I'm thinking Justin Timberlake's gonna come fix one. J- just come on in. I came across some files that I shouldn't have seen. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. This is amazing! I've been waiting my whole career to dig up some big farmer whistleblower shit like this. I know people are getting hooked, and I know that you know. This is the foundation of capitalism, create demand. Either you're gonna fix this, or I'm gonna have to go talk to the press. Now these people want me dead. They don't want this info coming out, and they definitely don't want you talking to anyone. Sucks! This article's gonna make a big splash. Have I made some mistakes? (laughs) Sure. It looks so familiar. I uh, do a lot of regional theater. Richard III. I was the other guy. The other Richard. Keep up the good work. Of course, thank you for supporting the arts. I need more evidence. Who's pulling the strings? Can you get it for me? This is my life. Let's take him down. You're not gonna get away with this. This is my story. Were you like supposed to be some 1950s private eye or something? (laughs) Such a dweeb. This is my story. This is my story. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 562. Available now in theaters across the US and also um, coming up very soon on digital as well is Blow Up My Life, conspiracy comedy thriller that stars Jason Selvig as a disgraced pharmaceutical employee who stumbles across a conspiracy involving his former company. With its blend of black comedy and conspiracy mystery, Blow Up My Life is both a funny and thrilling example of how to create an entertaining film while also delving into serious subject matter. And joining me now are the directors and writers of Blow Up My Life, Ryan Dickey and Abigail Horton. Ryan and Abigail, thank you both very much for your time today. Thanks for having thank us. So glad to be here. So just to confirm, the um, digital release, we're looking at November 4, is that correct? 14th, November 14th. 14th. November 14th. Um, but for people out there, there are a bunch of AMC theatres that uh, are showing it now. Uh, we'll be showing it very soon. I think the 10th of this month, we're going to have a lot, lot of fresh dates of, of stuff going out as well, um, and more so after that as well. So I really recommend people do check it out on the big screen, actually, because I think indie films need to be seen on the big screen. Even though there's a small screen option, we need to get more people in theatres to see indie movies because I think um, especially indie films have to be seen in the big screen so more and more are made uh, in the future. Um, but in regards to Blow Up My Life, um, Ryan, I'm really curious about the film's tone. So I was saying in my introduction, you've got the com- comedy, you've got the conspiracy thrills. When it comes to yourself and Abby, when it comes to like writing, um, how does that kind of tone come about? Is it predetermined? Is it organic? Is it just a part of the nature of how you are as storytellers and writers? Has it all kind of like um, uh, uh, come together? 
Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, in this case, it was something that we wanted to impart from the beginning, um, you know, the subject matter of opioids and, um, you know, corporate conspiracy and all that is heavy. Um, and we wanted to kind of, you know, create a character that was waking up to his complicity in the problem. And there's something kind of inherently sort of like befuddling about that. And I think to contrast and balance the comedy with the thrills and the intrigue, that's just like, you know, how I really like to ride a roller coaster, I guess, you know, when, you know, things are um, getting light and then you can kind of T-bone people with, you know, something unexpected or vice versa when it's too serious, you know, you can kind of shift the energy and, and um, you know, take them somewhere else. So I think um, in this case, we really wanted to work with Jason Selvig from the very beginning. And he has like such a, we've worked with him before and he has an amazing um, awareness of tone and these tones of taking serious subject matters and flipping it on its head and, and making it funny too. So um, he really helped us achieve that tone. So Webby, timeline wise, when you start working on this with Ryan, What's happening in the U.S. with um, opioids and big pharma? Is, is it at this time that the Sackler family in Purdue, Purdue, excuse me, is that when that is really like front page news and that's what's happening in the world or have we not even reached that point yet? No, I mean, during so we shot this in October 2020 and wrote it the summer of um, 2020. So, of course, we were going through one giant, um, you know, healthcare epidemic and a failure of our healthcare systems due to capitalism. Um, and so it was fascinating to be writing a film about that on another parallel, um, you know, trajectory with the opioid epidemic. Um, but at the time, the Southwoods were actually going through their bankruptcy trial mm. um, and judges were deciding whether they could be charged, um, you know, be held personally accountable um, or whether they could be kind of shrouded um, by their corporate cover on that. Um, and it's bounced back and forth a few times, um, but that's where we were at the moment during during that um, summer. So their their role in all this was already well known. Um, but I mean, the opioid epidemic just continues um, to grow. Um, you know, hundred thousand people die a year, so it's, it's not going anywhere, sadly. Um, so it's uh, it's you know it's been a topic that's fascinated us um, from a gosh, almost, you know, like a examination of our system gone wrong to like the highest degree, but also it's, you know, hit us personally. Um, and so it's a topic that we both think about and read about um, and have, you know, experienced. Um, so it was important for us to bring that into this film. Ryan, you mentioned before how you wanted to work with Jason Selvig. Um, he plays the role of Jason Trumbull in the movie. Um, when I, this is the first time I came across um, Jason, like uh, in any form so far, and my impressions of him after watching the movie, it's kind of like if you took Steve Carell and John Krasinski from The Office and blend them together, this is, this is who you get. It's kind of like this kind of like tall, lanky, kind of good looking guy, but it's kind of like an awkwardness and naivety towards him. And I think um, that naiveness about his character in the film it's what makes him endearing, but at the same time, kind of like almost like a frustrating character as well. It almost seems like that his ego is the his number one priority on top of everything else. Um, what was it like writing that character and knowing Jason's uh, strengths in that? 
Um, do you write specific for him or even though you want to cast him in it or does when he come aboard, do you like to tweak the character kind of bits or to kind of have um, Jason Springs as a as to fit in that kind of mold of the character you're making in the movie? Yeah, um, it was it was really fun to write this character because it's someone that you at first don't want to root for because they are kind of naive, egocentric, you know, kind of jerks that are sort of part of the problem. And over the course of the story, he's kind of on a road to redemption of sorts, um, which, you know, even the motivation for that is a little bit hazy. Um, intentionally is this just to, you know, get his old, you know, job back, his old, you know, power and status back, or is he really doing this because he wants to do the right thing? Maybe a little bit of both. Um, so Jason, um, again, just has like a, a great awareness of playing both sides of that. And I think is very willing to, um, you know, wrote it for him. wrote it for him, certainly, but I think he's willing to kind of um, humiliate himself, you know, uh, to a degree and drop his ego as an actor enough to play someone that, you know, you don't necessarily like um, right away um, or even for a while. But I think he understood that that is part of the, the fabric of that character. And it needed to be like that for him to get, you know, for the arc to be satisfying and um, for it to really, you know, him to change and get somewhere else. And so we did, uh, improv a lot you know i wouldn't say improv but i guess i would say jason brought a lot on set when we were really kind of like refining the dialogue um and uh finding that pitch perfect kind of balance there i think when it comes to the comedy of um, his character and how naive he is in the in the position that he's in there's a line in the film that i just cracked me up where he says i couldn't believe this big pharmaceutical company was in it for the money <laughs> That's a Jason that's a Selvig original right there. <laughs> he made that one up. It's so funny. He's great. Yeah. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Tee Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, Tee Public is sure to have something you will love. Please support Matt's Movie Reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. When it comes, to, um, Abigail, to Jason's character, of Jason, um, he we, when we first see him, he's like full-on hard-boiled, you know, neo-noir kind of like form, he's doing his little narration in his little recorder, doing his life story, but like, you know, as a like, treating it as kind of like it was like in a pulp, pulp novel. Um, but, you know, even though the f- funny thing about his character, even though he kind of sees himself as this kind of like hard-boiled kind of Jake Giddies kind of guy, he's actually more of a soft-boiled detective, isn't he? Not as, not as uh, you know, tripped out as uh, the dude from Big Lebowski and not as um, pop culture driven as um, Andrew Garfield's character in Under the Silver Lake, but somewhere in between there. I just really like to, to talk about trying to find the, the approach of um, not only putting those noir elements into his character, but what type of kind of uh, a noirish person did you want him to be? Do you Did you foresee him as kind of like someone who was kind of like thinking that he was um, undergoing his own noir adventure in his own head and he was kind of like seeing this stuff, even though it was a very high stakes um, game that he was part of, that it was almost kind of like a fantasy uh, uh, play for him in this sort of way? 
Yeah, that was um, definitely a real tightrope that we walked trying to find that. Um, a big inspiration was Double Indemnity, um, that noir. It's so funny. Um, yes. You know, it really is. And you kind of forget that when we were going back and watching, watching and just dying. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, Jason's motivation for going on this journey is a bit you know, in some ways he wants to do the right thing. He understands what he's done and been a part of and wants to fix it. In some other ways, he really doesn't have a choice. <laughs> and then in, uh, you know, the other third of that is like, he kind of wants to like re, um, he wants to bring glory back to his name. You know, he was this hot mm-hmm. shot that was well-loved by everyone. And he wants to kind of like restate his, um, you know, his legacy. Um, so I think in that way, you know, three-fourths of the movie is his perspective of him telling the story um and for sure he's we may be you know he's a bit of an unreliable narrator in that regard we're making it dramatic and I think the the story function of a flashback in a noir film also has the um result of making kind of everything we're seeing covered with this sense of doom, a sense of this is not going to go well, this is all going to get more and more serious and worse as we go, because we know how it ends already. Um, and so we definitely wanted to play with that as well and use that flashback structure to kind of like heighten the stakes of, you know, even the comedy. You know that even though this is funny, this doesn't go in a good direction. Um, yeah, so that was some of our, our noir musings um, on that. But it's such a fun genre to play within, too. Um, you're allowed, I think you're allowed to push it a little bit uh, be, in, within that genre. And sometimes, like, within double, double Indemnity, it's like the more serious he gets, the funnier it gets. Mm-hmm. And we were really intrigued by that balance, and we felt like Jason could play that very well. And the voiceover is, is you know, his embellishment, you know, that's kind of the first bits of the comedy that aren't, like, jokes necessarily in bits and we really tried to write not too many jokes but you know things that kind of organically came out like that ryan i loved um charlie the character that carrie young plays in the movie um in many ways she's kind of like the hard-boiled detective that um jason's character wishes he was i mean she's the one that's kicking butt and and she knows everything that's happening in the world and she has the capabilities uh to really stay ahead of the game as opposed to jason's character is always kind of like bumbling in the wind um what was it like having her in the movie and I'm just curious, the interplay between both Jason and Kara in the film, a lot of it is happening happening off the screen. How do you guys play that? Do you actually have them talking on the phone to each other? Do you, is it just a thing of post-production? How do you have that interplay happening? Because the chemistry between them is really strong. Yeah, it was wonderful working with Kara on this. Um, she just brought the energy right away from the audition and we knew you know it was a great fit and that she would gel really well with jason and um she you know in some ways uh is kind of taking the perspective of the audience a little bit and kind of sees jason a little bit more for what he is and is like able to call it out and you know and kind of like keeps helping him sort of wake up throughout so it's a a character that I think the audience can relate to a lot. And it's really super satisfying when she and Jason finally meet up in person, you know, a little bit later in the film, because she's kind of been, uh, you know, stuck behind the desk um, for the first part of it. And that's really also uh, 
attributed to Jason's sort of limited perspective earlier on when he's kind of talking. He only sort of sees her in that place, but then when they're together, they have, you know, their interactions like grow and, and it keeps getting bigger. So that was um, a really intricate part of all of her scene, uh, many of her scenes where she's behind the desk and they're speaking through Zoom and, um, you know, like I mentioned, we shot during the pandemic, so there was a lot of um, quarantine issues and, you know, challenges that we had to uh, make, you know, fit and um, only so much time actors could spend, you know, in certain scenes. We could only have so many people in certain scenes at certain times. So it's a big kind of like puzzle that we had to put together. Um, and in that case, um, she and Jason were actually in the same room for the most for the most part having that dialogue um and then we would you know re-record it again later on with jason in a different location him doing it on his phone or whatever um really fun scene when they when it's jason and kara and blake on his webcam or whatever to the three of them together coordinating all that was was really fun all at different times all at different times Abigail, I want to talk about the score in the movie. The synth score kind of reminds me of like early John Carpenter stuff that Harold and Faltermeyer did with um, the Beverly Hills Cop movie, especially came to mind. Yeah. So I'm trying to look up who did the score. The only thing I could find is P. Rose on like IMDb. Who is P. Rose um, and how did the score kind of come about for this movie? P. Rose is uh, Paul Rose, and Paul Rose is Scuba, who is an electronic uh, artist based in the UK. Um, and your reference tracks were spot on. Those were also our reference tracks that we were editing to in the film. <laughs> um, and Ryan actually has been such a huge fan of Scuba for so long. And we were also editing to his songs, just being like, God, this one track, what was it called? Do you remember? Drift. Drift. Great that track. Your name Drift. Oh, it was perfect. It just is absolutely brilliant. And we're just like, I just want this track by this artist. And we're like, well, maybe we could maybe scuba would be down um and we kind of did a bit of a cold call out to scuba and he was you know he had been wanting to do a movie and um you know it was a great fit between the three of us and he is so talented and his like ability to read the tone and bring even more to the table was just fantastic. Um, and I think it also plays a huge part in balancing the tone of the comedy and the drama in the film. Um, it helps to kind of like wrap it all up in the same package together. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think this movie would work out, you know, without, you know, a film will never work without all of its parts, but I think here particularly the music really uh, brings it home. Any chance of soundtrack, limited soundtrack release or Spotify playlist or anything like that? Because I'm a, like I, like I said, I love to score. I love to be able to, to listen to it in, in, like, on a, on an isolated yeah. kind of uh, way. Yeah, yes. we're working on putting it out. I think it will probably come out a little bit after our BOD release. But, yeah, mm -hmm. we're definitely going to get it out there. Because there's a lot of good scuba fans out there, too, who want to hear it. So Yeah, that's awesome. That's great to yeah. hear. Um, Ryan, when it comes to editing of the film, there's a snap to a lot of the cuts. Um, especially at the start of the film. Um, how do you approach editing um, for this movie? Are there different, you got the tone of the film that you have in the script, you got the performances, but the editing, I think, I thought was a, something that really kind of drove home a lot of the kind of like the um, the uh, the stakes of the movie, and especially in regards to the kind of like the um, forward motion that uh, Jason's character was going through. How do you approach um, editing for this movie? 
Thanks. Um, it was, it was really fun. I think there's, um, you know, a lot to play with in the flashback structure, um, helps kind of set up a lot and it, it makes a propellant sort of opening that you, you have to like really follow up the momentum with, even when you go back into the past and, um, you know, there's a lot that the audience needs to kind of find out in the exposition kind of quickly. And we really want to get to sort of that first scene with Jason and Gary having kind of their first real character interaction. That's where the film, I think, for me, really kind of takes off um, when it actually slows down a little bit. Um, and that was fun, you know, finding that pace um, getting to that and then, you know, escalating it from there. And again, the, the music, um, was a big part of it. And we started working with Paul, um, kind of right from the beginning, essentially, um, after we had the first edit and we were kind of sharing stuff and he sent over, um, tracks kind of in little bundles. So we get a few at a time and then we'd adjust our edit a little bit. We could be like, oh, and this needs a little bit more there, a little less here, et cetera. And then he'd send some stuff back and we'd respond. So finding that rhythm was a, a collaborative effort with Paul. And I think that's what makes all of it kind of like really weave together. Final question for both of you. Um, I'm not going through any spoiler territory here whatsoever. But there is potential, I think, for this story to continue on. And I know that initial drafts for this movie was something kind of like more global, I guess you could say, kind of like bigger. And because of COVID, we kind of had to be more restricted. But now we're kind of outside that. Um, I think there's potential here to maybe do more in different places, maybe add more characters and such. Is there any ideas whatsoever? And, of course, it comes down to, you know, the success of the film Financial Belt. Does any ideas whatsoever to continue on? this story because I think there's a potential for more chapters uh, to this story because I don't think it's over quite yet. Ooh, thank you. (laughs) Definitely. Um, You know, nothing, nothing planned at the moment, um, but certainly it is a really fun world to live in. The characters, I do think, you know, hopefully stay with everyone after the credits roll and you know you think about where they might be and what they might be doing and um you know we would we would be happy to open (laughs) open it up again if the opportunity arose for sure um that's that's nice to hear that you would like that too yeah (laughs) well i think the possibility is definitely there um but for now for everyone out there listening Blow Up My Life. It's playing in select cinemas around the US. Um, it started um, back in September. we still got more dates coming up as well. Um, so you've got um, AMC Nashville, AMC Atlanta, up to the 12th, um, uh, Houston, Chattanooga, Charlotte, other cinemas as well, up to around, I'd say probably around like the 19th or the 20th, uh, there's going to be a lot of theatricals uh, around. I really recommend people check out your, your theatres and see if you can watch it because even though there is a digital in on um, November 14 uh, and uh, um, the video on demand, I really recommend people do check this out in the cinema because, um, like I said, we need to get, you know, post-strikes, I think we need to get more people in the cinema, especially for independent films, because, you know, we need more power to the, to filmmakers and indie filmmakers. I think in my belief is that um, that's where um, the, the future of really, of like great creative kind of like filmmaking is found. And that's um, where we've definitely, what well, I definitely watched in my life and Abigail and Ryan, I think you both very much 
for your time today. Um, uh, yeah, um, congratulations to you both for this film. I really enjoyed it very much. I think you got those light and dark elements in there really, um, really great in that fun, entertaining kind of package. And I really enjoyed the film. And um, thank you for your time today. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate it.